Good morning from me. Uh, my name's Peter. I'm one of the pastors at the church here. Grief. Grief. Um, there's more grief going on around the place than you think. <clears throat> grief and loss go together. Grief is about losing something or someone that you love. Uh, there's this piece of you that's, um, that's gone. Uh, maybe... Uh, someone you love died, uh, you love them and they were such a part of your life and now they're gone and you, you have this hole in your life now and it's a hole that uh, can never be filled. Uh, be filled. Um, my wife's uh, granddad lived to a, a grand old age of um, over 90 um, and uh, you kind of, I, I would look at him, i go, that's amazing, like, that's, that's just a, that's a big life, it's a long life. Um, but, and maybe this is the pessimist in me, but there, then there was this side of me that just went, he's had to go to a lot of funerals, you know, as you get older, because not many people lived as long as he actually did. Um, and, and I used to think about what the grief must have been like for him to have to go to, go to these funerals of his, of his wives, of his, um, of his siblings. Um, you know, grief comes uh, because there can be a, a physical loss like that. Someone that we love has actually died. But you can have grief because of a loss of physical function as well, right? Um, you, you've got this bad back and you just can't do stuff that you used to be able to do. Um, or, or perhaps you've got a long-term progressive illness and, and there's, a, there's a part of you that's actually getting whittled away bit by bit. And in some ways, this is old age, but, but sometimes there's these conditions and, and, um, and diseases that kind of come along and, and they just accelerate that. Um, you know, there is a sense in which as we get older, you are able to do less and less, uh, but sometimes there's conditions that just kind of accelerate that, that kind of movement there. And, and we don't really think about it too much, but there's a grief that goes along with that because there's a loss. Usually if you can, if you can track down and trace down where the loss is, you can usually uh, find a grief that's kind of attached to it. Um, sometimes we, we grieve uh, not being able to do things um, that we used to be able to do, which we really enjoyed and it could be because of physical illness could be because of mental illness or not um my best mate kurt was diagnosed with early onset parkinson's disease a number of years ago um in his early 40s and i get to walk alongside him and that's a great privilege for me and he walks alongside me he's a He's a wonderful friend. Um, but he deals with the grief associated with it. And, and you might instantly think that the grief for him is a physical grief because of Parkinson's disease. And, uh, and there is some of that. But, you know, at the end of last year, he had to step down as a pastor. And he loves being a pastor. Um, it was one of the joys of his life. And I remember him telling me early this year, he goes, I looked at the preaching planner for uh, our church that he's at. And, and he said to me, my name's not on it. <laughs> you know, and he used to love, he used to love preaching. And he's struggling with the loss of the role. And, and um, he gave me permission to talk about it today. Um, but um, 
it, it's, it's a genuine loss. It, there's just so many varieties of uh, grief and loss. You've got loss of relationships, loss of pets, even cats. Um, loss of lifestyle, loss of a job and so on. I mean, maybe there's even some grief and loss because money's tight at the moment. The cost of living crisis, right? You just don't get to do the things that you want to do or the things that you used to be able to do. And, and you know what's interesting about grief is, is you don't get over it. Because usually the thing that you've lost, you don't get back. It, it's just lost. And so, you know, sometimes with people, they go, oh, I wonder when they're going to get over it. It's like, never, right? You, you, the getting over it that people are talking about is actually learning to live with it. That's, that's what it is. And, and the reality is that, um, that, that grief is everywhere. Um, it's all over the place. And you can't live very long without experiencing grief. But I want to ask you this question. Um, and it's a first cab off the rank for us today. Um, what is the most powerful cause of grief? I wonder how you'd answer that. What would you say? It'd be hard to argue against physical death, wouldn't it? As being the most powerful cause of, of grief. grief. Um, but I want to broaden it this morning. And how I want to broaden it is I want you to see that... Um, I started talking about grief and loss go together. Well, loss is a kind of death. So grief and death go together. Um, and I'm not just talking about physical death at this point. I'm, I'm talking about all death. Uh, relational death, uh, physical death, the death of hope, the death of opportunity, the death of good things. Uh, we grieve more than we realise because death affects us uh, more than we realise. It's true, right? Um, oh, this is dark, isn't it? What a great, great way to start a sermon today. Um, but I want to take you back to where we first started in John. And that's in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. I'm going to put it on the screen here. In the beginning, there's the very beginning of John's gospel that we started two years ago. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. So Jesus is the creator of the world. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to note a couple of things. This is where kicking off in the opening verses of John. Notice the first italicized section. Uh, through him all things were made. Every single living thing. Everything which has life in it came from him. Everything that doesn't have life in it that was created came from him. Giraffes, parrots, ants, dogs, and as I said before, even cats came from Jesus. All right, there's some people going to quote me on that. Now, it's been dry for us for a while, right? Have you noticed that? We haven't had a whole lot of rain, but you remember back to the start in springtime, we just had so much rain and everyone's going, oh, the soil's so saturated. I'll tell you, when I looked out at my backyard and my garden in the backyard, everything was growing. It was like the, the water that was coming from the, the clouds just energized life and there was just so much life and there were there were moths and, and then eventually butterflies and there were birds and there were green shoots on everything. Well, you know, the presence of Jesus is like that. And I remember looking into my garden 
and thinking about Jesus and thinking that's what happens. That's what he's like. He actually makes things and they just abound with life because that's who he actually is. And you see that in the next italicized bit there. In him was life. Jesus didn't have life. He was life. There's a difference. Jesus is life itself. That's why everything gets created by him and it's this abundant life. It's embodied in him. And John's been pointing us to this life the whole way along. And now we're in John chapter 11. And Jesus' dear friend Lazarus was very ill and he ended up dying. And Jesus makes his way to Bethany where Mary, Martha and Lazarus lived. And here's the question, right? Uh, What's going to happen when the one who is life itself steps into a place soaked in death? (laughs) What's going to happen? You know what's going to happen? A beautiful collision. It's a... It's a title of an album by um, David Crowder years ago. It's just, it just captures it, doesn't it? it? It's just it's a beautiful collision. So if you've got your Bibles there, we're going to read from John chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 17. John chapter 11, verse 17. We're reading the NIV. John chapter 11, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, about three kilometers, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, another one of these great I am statements in John, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's the scene, verse 17 to 19. Jesus turns up and it's typical for back in the day. Um, Here's the bottom line. Lazarus, he's dead, he's buried. He's dead and he's buried. It wasn't uncommon back in the day for burial to happen quickly. He's been in the tomb for four days. You You can see that from Martha, he stinketh. Um, it's not talking about a teenager's bedroom, right? just talking about the tomb and the fact that Lazarus has been in the tomb uh, for four days. Now, this is significant, this statement about four days, and I want you to see why this is. And it's because in the Mishnah, the, uh, the collection of oral sayings, it, it, it reveals some, some uh, background behind what's going on here. 
And, and here's an excerpt from Leon Morris's commentary, uh, him quoting out of the Mishnah. That for three days after death, the soul hovers over the body, intending to re-enter it. But as soon as it sees its appearance change, it departs. This is the collection of Jewish sayings. Look, the big idea here is that once decomposition is starting to take place, it's over, right? The guy's dead. <laughs> um, and, and you can see this uh, by what Martha says. It's like he's been in the tomb for four days and he stinks. Now, decomposition is taking place. Um, th- that's part of the scene. Another part of the scene here is, is the mourners that have come. The people come to mourn with Mary and Martha. They, they live about three k's from Jerusalem. Um, and they're obviously well known. Uh, we, we see that in verse 19. Many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. There would have been heaps of weeping. Um, everyone's there and they're all crying. And, and there's more direction in the Mishnah about what you need to do at a funeral. Um, the basics, the bare basics, even for a, a poor family here. Here it is, Jewish Funeral custom dictated that even a poor family was expected to hire at least two flute players and a professional wailing woman. Like that one. And this family was anything but poor. That's a professional wailing woman. That's classic, right? Girls, that's a career you want to shoot for. Right? <laughs> Imagine being in school and it's like you could be a, just a, an, an A-grade crier. Uh, you know, some of you might go, isn't that like the pastors at Restoration Church? Professional wailing women, anyway. They seem to have a fair bit of coin, uh, Mary and Martha. I mean, you can see that, and we'll see that in the next chapter. Um, they're probably more than the, the average kind of poor person. And so you've got quite a scene here. You've got a good cast of people who knew them, came to comfort them. This is what Jesus is walking into. But I, I want you to notice something about the scene. Um, and, and it's summed up in, in two words, it's over. That's, I, I think that's one of the things you meant to get, it's like it's done. Um, you, can, you can tell from Mary and Martha and their response to Jesus, it's like, well, um, you know, if you were here you could have done something about it, but it's done now. It's over. Um, Lazarus is gone and he's not coming back. Um, do you know what else is gone? hope really I mean there's a distant future hope but if you look at this situation it's just soaked in death the whole situation Uh, the decomposition happening in Lazarus's body is happening to hope isn't it the decomposition happening to Lazarus's body is happening to people's expectations this is the scene that Jesus walks into and and I want to just add this and this is partially disturbing but you just need to know it. And we, we looked at this last week. This is the situation, not just that Jesus walks into. This is the situation Jesus wanted to walk into. This is the exact situation he wanted to walk into. Remember, he stayed where he was two more days. It, it, it's, it seems quite clear to me in John 11 that the trigger for Jesus making the journey to where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were was when Lazarus died. That's when they started. He, he waited until he died. So you know, you know what Jesus is doing here, and, and this is what I think he's doing here, is he's waiting 
so that he can kill off any hope which will come from the situation. See that? See, it wasn't just Lazarus that needed to be dead. Hope in a natural resolution needed to be dead too. I think that was Jesus' intention. Now, this gets, this gets really personal for us, right? Um, because Jesus often waits until our hope in a natural resolution has died too. You know, and, and the, the weird thing about it is we kind of go, we love these stories, <laughs> Right? I just told you a story before about the Japanese pastor. We love these stories where God comes through, right? You know, like all seems lost. And then at the end, even after the end, God comes through and he saves the day. But who knows that it gets pretty gritty at the end? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because the end tastes like death most of the time, doesn't it? You need to know that this is the way that God intends it. There's a purpose to it. And the purpose is him. And I want you to hear me on this. Jesus will let situations die for you because he doesn't want you to trust in natural hope. Ultimately, he wants you to trust in him. He doesn't want you just to lean on the natural possibility in the physical or just the natural that, he's, that, that something good is going to happen. He wants the natural hope to die so that you're, you will rest entirely in the supernatural. Another way to put it, Jesus will often wait until all hope is gone so your only hope will be in him. Now, if you're in a good place, you probably just give a yay and amen to that. But if you're in the back end of something and it just is soaked in death and it just tastes like death and it's a gritty end, it's not, it's not any less true. You're probably just a little less enthusiastic about it. <laughs> All right? And uh, I get that. I understand that. This is the scene. Right? This is, this is what's going on. Second thing I want to look at today is the people. Uh, verse 20 to 32 there's there's uh four key characters in the story jesus lazarus he's gone so he's not really an active player at this point in time uh and you've got mary and martha uh they come into the frame again we we don't know much about mary and martha we uh, we know a story in luke chapter 10 it's a classic story where jesus and the disciples drop in on mary and martha and mary's sitting at jesus's feet listening to him and martha's doing all the work uh, in the end Jesus gives a rap to Mary for not doing the work. No, actually for listening uh, to him. And uh, any, Anyone know the story that I'm talking about? Yeah. So it's kind of no surprise, just even from that snapshot in Luke chapter 10, that the one that goes to meet Jesus is Martha, isn't it? Um, she's the go-getter. She's the one wanting to organize things and manage things and make sure everything's running well. So when she hears that Jesus is coming, it's like, I'm going to go and meet up with him. I'm going to have a conversation with him. Mary stays at home. And here's what she says. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 
Now, you can see in this statement how hope in the situation has died. You see what she's saying? She's saying, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Um, and, and look, there's a lot of people who've got a lot of thoughts on what's going on here in John chapter 11, but I, I give Martha some points at this point, right? I, I just think, yeah, no, I'll give you some points for that. Um, she, she has enough faith in Jesus uh, to believe that he could do something about her brother being sick, but not enough to believe that he could do something about her brother being dead, all right? So I'm like, oh, I'm going to give you a few for that. Um, but then she goes on, as you can see here, that even in the current situation, God could do anything he wanted to. And this is a, a rather powerful declaration of faith in Jesus, right? And then there's, there's this part of us at this point in time that, that might go, Pete, I, I think maybe we should give her a few more points, right? Because she's got a few because she, um, she, she thinks that, you know, God, Jesus could have done something if, if he was there in time. But now she's actually saying that, Nothing's too late. But before you give her the big kind of thumbs up emoji, um, you need to know that later on in the story she's saying this. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, listen to what Lord uh, Martha says, the sister of the dead man. By this time there is a bad odour for he has been there four days. So Jesus is rolling his sleeves up and he's about to get to work and Martha's going, don't take the stone away because that's going to stink, right? And, and at this point, you just kind of go, okay, well, what are, what are we dealing with? Is, is she someone of faith or is she someone not of faith in, in the sense that she have hope and confidence that she, Jesus can do something or doesn't she? It's like, what's, what's going on in this story? Uh, now, I've read a bunch of stuff about it. Many try to work out what's going on and they try to reconcile the two, but I just want to say to you, I don't think that you need to, uh, because this is what I think it is. I, I think this is faith in a fallen world in the midst of death. That's what I, I think it is. Um, now, I, I think God's building something better inside of us, but I, I think this is what happens sometimes with faith in the presence of death, is it vacillates, it kind of flips from one to the other. You know, one moment there's confidence in God and, and another moment the intensity of the situation is so much in your face. It's like, I can't get there. I can't get to confidence and hope in the situation. You know what that's like? I do. This is what uh, Jesus is up to. We saw this last week, right? This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. What's the point of the whole exercise? That people would see Jesus more clearly. And that's going to happen. <laughs> but before it happens, Jesus offers what seems like some kind of cheesy funeral platitude. Right? Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She responds by agreeing with him, but I want you to notice something about her agreement. Martha answered, I know he will rise in the resurrection, again in the resurrection at the last day. What tense is that? Present or future? Future. 
See, Jesus is talking present and future, (laughs) and she's just talking future. It's an amazing little story. Um, Martha then goes on to make a powerful affirmation about who Jesus is, and in the middle of all of that, Jesus makes this amazing I am statement that we'll get to in a minute. Um, Obviously, at some point in this conversation, it was a longer one than what John records, Jesus asks for Mary, and so Martha goes off uh, to get her in the hope, I think, uh, that she'll be able to have a quiet conversation with Jesus. And we see this part of the story here where, where Martha goes to Mary and says, the teacher's here, he's asking for you. Uh, Mary takes off uh, to see him. A bunch of mourners go with her. And you can see in verse 32, when, at the end there, when, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She, um, Mary Cat's a pretty forlorn figure, in my view. Um, she, she doesn't have the get up and go that Martha has. She's still in the, in the house. You know, Martha goes to get her uh, and take her to Jesus and she comes with an entourage. When she comes to Jesus, she doesn't stand up. She just falls down in front of him. You know, it, it, it just bears all the hallmarks of someone who's devoid of hope. You know, the other, the other time uh, that we know about uh, Mary was in Luke chapter 10 and um, and she's listening to him. She's wanting to learn. She's wanting to, to draw from him, but not now. <laughs> um, this time she's speaking and, and, it's, and it's coming from her heart and you can hear where she's at, where she's at. She's the one talking. And, and do, you hear, do you hear the talk? The talking is talking that's, that's soaked in death. Now, This passage is not directly about this, but I just want to make a quick note uh, before I move on. Um, If you are in a place and it's soaked in death, you should talk to Jesus about it. All right? And if you are connected to someone who's in a place that's soaked in Jesus, you should do all you can to get them to Jesus so that they can talk to Jesus about it. And I don't mean just asking God to fix the problem. That's not the kind of talking to Jesus uh, that I'm talking about. I I mean telling him what it's like. Telling him what death tastes like. Telling him about the fact that you can't find hope. Tell him that. You know, a third of the Psalms are laments. And and laments are, are the groans of people living in a land of death. That's what they are. This is a beautiful verse in Psalm 62, verse 8, because sometimes um, when I talk with people about these things, they say, you know, there's this hesitation because it's like God's got bigger things to deal with. And it's like, what's important enough to tell Jesus? Just everything. (laughs) Just everything. Um, I don't know whether you noticed, but uh, you will not find a ranking of griefs in Scripture. And I think there's a reason for it because if you rank Greece, then all of a sudden, if I'm at number 10 and someone sitting next to me is at five, well, then maybe I'm not going to tell Jesus about it. Well, you should because he doesn't rank them. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. Isn't that beautiful? Everything. Just everything. Um, you know, was there a, 
a lack of hope and confidence in who Jesus was by Mary and Martha? Yeah, I think so. Did Mary do well by just being in a crumpled heap in front of Jesus and just telling him what's going on? I think she did. You know, and here's the bottom line. We, we want to invite Jesus into the death-soaked areas of our lives, right? Because a beautiful collision needs to happen there between the one who is life and the death that's going on. You know, Jesus wants to be in the death-soaked areas of your life. He really does. And, and I would say this to you, that's actually where he comes into his own. Doesn't he? Yeah, sometimes it's like you get into a place where there's a whole bunch of death going on around the place and you just kind of go, well, I think this is going to be a challenge for him. <laughs> right? Or you, sometimes you go, I don't know whether he can handle this. He can. He can. Far from being something that dwarfs him, it's, it's something that in which a place in which he comes into his own. I'm going to finish here today. The person of Jesus, verse 25 to 26, going to put it on the screen. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I want to spend the last little bit this morning looking at this I am statement of Jesus. You know, whenever Jesus makes an I am statement in the Gospel of John, he's, it's, it's a, uh, a statement about his divinity, that he's God. Um, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That is amazing, isn't it? And I want, to, I want you to see here that there's, there's, five, there's at least five things going on here. Physical, future, non-physical, present and personal. Let's go through these one by one. When Jesus talks about resurrection, he's talking about a physical reality that's coming. Where people who have died will come back to life and they'll get a new body. And if none of us make it to the day where Jesus comes back, sorry, the day when Jesus comes back, then we will die and he will raise us. All right? This is amazing news. This is amazing news if you've got uh, friends and relatives who love Jesus, who have died, because it's like, yeah, you're going to see him again. Absolutely. He's going to raise them. You know what? What happened to Lazarus happens to everyone (laughs) at some point in time unless Jesus comes back. This is one of the things that Jesus means here. Uh, The one who believes in me will live even though they die. think Think about your friends who love Jesus. Think about your relatives who love Jesus. Their bodies have decomposed. They still live. Isn't that good? Because of Jesus. Their bodies will be raised again. If you love Jesus and you die physically, you're going to get raised again. And if you're here this morning and you don't love Jesus and you haven't given your life to Jesus, this is a really good reason to do it, right? Because it means that death isn't the end. You go on forever. And and it all just makes sense, right? If you get joined and connected to the one who is life, you live forever. 
That's how it works. It's very simple. Second one, future. This comes directly from my previous point there. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. There is a time coming in the future for those who have fallen asleep. And like I said, if we die before Jesus comes back, it will be for us too and we look forward to it. That's going to be a great day. But you just need to know here that Jesus is not just talking about physical future. He's not just the resurrection, he's the life, right? And when you, when you look at the life part of it, <laughs> Jesus is actually saying here, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What's he talking about there? What Jesus is saying is you're going to come alive. If you get connected to him, you will come alive. And he is talking about being spiritually alive, but he's not only talking about being spiritually alive. It isn't just reserved for that. It's, it's everything. <laughs> you just come alive all over the place. Jesus came that we might have life abundantly. What, what has he done in the lead up to this? You know, because spiritual life is, 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 you don't want to walk past that, Right? It's so critical, so important. But what has he done in the lead up to John chapter 11? Well, he made some more wine for a wedding. <laughs> That's interesting, right? Um, he changed a five-time divorced lady's life. That's interesting. He, he changed Nicodemus's life, a, a Jewish guy. You read through John, you read through the other Gospels, and you just, you just, it's obvious that whenever God's near, whenever Jesus gets near to someone, things start coming alive. They just do. Uh, it, it, it happened right back in the garden. The, the Garden of Eden was a temple. And, and, and it was a lush place because God was there. The, 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 uh, the latter temple that came after it was designed to mirror the Garden of Eden, and it was a lush place. All these carvings of, of fruit and trees in there. And, and this is the bottom line, folks. If, if you want to become more alive, you need to get nearer to Jesus. Right? Um, it's, it's always like this, you know. And, and sometimes, you know, I feel like I say this every Sunday. Some of you go, yeah, actually, Pete, you do actually say this every Sunday, all right? And, and, and I could ask you, and you, uh, you, don't say it out loud, right? But I could, I could say to you, do, do you want to come alive? And, and if you say yes to that, the next question is equally as important because it's the way that you come alive. Do you want to get nearer to Jesus? And if you say, not really, I'll say to you, well, then you don't really want to come alive. It's, it's that simple. Um, you know, we, we are at Restoration Church and there's a whole bunch of new people who come and join us. We love you. We're glad that you have come to join us. Um, we are setting everything up and have been working on it for a long time. Everything in this church is like, I don't know. I'm winging it here, but it's like a greenhouse or something. It's like we're just setting the whole thing up 
flush growth of things coming alive. All right? And that's why if you've come and joined us in the last few months and you haven't plugged into something, you need to plug into something. Plug into serving, plug into a community group, get into restore groups, just go to a men's event, go to the women's event, just plug in because we're doing everything we can to just trick this place up to be a really, really amazing place that makes people come alive. And do you know what? It's happening. It's happening all over the place. I, I just, I'm hearing stories regularly of people coming alive. And it's not, some of it is like spiritual life, but there's a whole bunch of it is just like they're getting nearer to God and they're coming alive as they get nearer to God, all right? And at one point you go, that's amazing. But at another point I go, that's exactly how it works, right? And, and it's like, do you want to be one of them? Do you, do you want to be another story of someone who's gotten near to Jesus and has come alive? And, and some of you go, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It's like, well, not as well as you could be. Because that's the thing, you know, like if you've been following Jesus for 40 or 50 years, my, my question would be to you, like, how do you get nearer to Jesus? Let's, let's all get nearer and we'll all come alive. And then Restoration Church becomes this, this beacon and people hear about it and they go, that's amazing. Like that must be an amazing church. And they start coming to the church and they go, we want to go to that church because it just must be an amazing church. It's like, well, it's not that amazing. But Jesus is here and people get to be near to him and when they get to be near to him, they come alive. So, people don't believe preachers, right? You're all looking at me like you don't believe me, right? So, I've got a treat for you this morning. Um, I've got a couple of people who, uh, Ange and I actually get to walk alongside a bit and they're just coming alive. And um, I thought it would be good just to get them up here because you don't believe me, all right? Um, and, and they can just tell you how they're coming alive by being near to Jesus, all right? And, uh, and hopefully that will just encourage you. So Phil and Samara, can you guys, you guys come up? Can you give me a round of applause? Sometimes this is the curse of being friends of a preacher, but they're, um, they're not, uh, this is a voluntary thing, but I, I just said, man, you, there's some really cool stuff going on um, for them. And, and, and you know, it's, it's not like, like a, a miracle kind of thing that's going on in one sense. It's kind of just a normal miracle that God does um, over, a, over a progressive kind of period of time. How long have you guys been in the church? Uh, can you just give us a quick snapshot of, of you guys and your, your kids and like credit card details or something? Uh, um, uh, we started coming to the project just before COVID hit. Um, so it was a bit wild. Uh, but yeah, it was like, how, how do, you, do you want me to go into this? As far as you want. It was like... Um, it was like Jesus was there and he, he kind of uh, he kind of just slapped us the first day, right? Well, me particularly. It was like uh, I ended up down the front of the of the church blubbering and, and Nathan prayed for me. And so it kind of the you know, the, the ball started rolling pretty much day one. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And you guys have got three kids? 
Yeah, so you've been here for part of the church for four years, maybe? Five. Five, five years? Yeah. yeah, cool. What, uh, just keen to hear from both of you, just give us a snapshot, like, um, Lord's kind of bringing you alive at the moment. Um, what, what areas of kind of death can you actually see as you reflect back to maybe a couple of years ago, three years ago, four years ago? Um, pretty much everywhere, everything. <laughs> uh, for me particularly, the, the specific things would be uh, uh, anger and, and apathy, which is kind of weird that you know, they kind of go together but are opposite in some ways. Uh, a lot of impatience, uh, selfishness, uh, life was just heavy, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for me, there'd been a lot of um, broken relationships and pretty tough stuff. I'm not going to look at Pete now. <laughs> um, and. I'd build up a lot of walls pretty deep down in my spirit um, that if you asked me and theologically I believe that God was a good God um, and that he would do good things but I was very much like Martha in that that's to come uh, and I, I didn't believe that God would do good stuff this side of death uh, or that he was close um, or felt close this side of death. Uh, so when people would say, you know, oh, God's going to do something good, or, uh, you know, Romans eight twenty eight, God works things for good for those that follow him, I'm like, yeah, yeah, after I'm dead. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, yeah, probably retrospectively when I look at that had been a truth that I'd believed for a, a really long time. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate the honesty there. Yeah. What's the... Where's the life coming? Like, what, what can you see? Where are the new shoots the, as you're drawing near to Jesus? What, what's he up to? Um, I would, I'd probably just sum it up and say that, uh, you know, I can see the, the beginnings of the fruit of the Spirit, probably, you know. Uh, and I, I think that... It's the contrast of, of what was before as to what's now and to, to look at it and go, I, th- I, th- I thought it was there a little bit before. But it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think for me, I just feel God breaking down those walls, uh, peeling back those those layers of the parts that I wouldn't even admit to myself. Mm. Um, It's like he pierced that and broke it and there was hope where there hadn't been for quite a long time. Mm. Um, It's obviously still pretty (laughs) fresh. Um, And circumstances, a lot of circumstances haven't changed. They're still the same. But... Uh, and I don't know how to explain it without making it sound like a feeling, but I feel that he's close. Yeah. Uh, that he's walking alongside me in those tough things, that he's there mm. um, in a way that I've 
never felt that before. Um, that part of Narnia where you read last week where Lucy's face came alive, just that's what it feels like inside. Mm. Um, not as a feeling but it, like in my spirit, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I just add this note, like the scripture speaks regularly about God's presence. You know, and, and sometimes that's just kind of been messed up by church experiences, but being in God's personal presence is, is something that's on offer. You know, the Old Testament phrase that describes that is, um, is God's face, that he turns his face toward you, that, that you would know that he's looking at you. That, uh, so that's, that's, um, that's really powerful. Can, can you guys just, what life do you see happening in each other? Because uh, I think... Sometimes I think the life that's coming about is, is more easily seen by someone outside of us. What, what are you seeing, Samara and Samara? What do you see and feel? Uh, definitely a joy. I think there's a, there's a joy there that's, that's coming out, and you know, sometimes it comes out in tears. Um, and, and, and a lightness, I think, a lightness. We've had, we've had a pretty heavy couple of years, and and um, Samar, particularly last year, was was very heavy. But she's lighter now, you know. She's doesn't seem like there's so many clouds hanging around her. I should have gone first. <laughs> it's it's the stage. Sorry. Like, if you come up yeah. here too, you'll yeah. probably cry. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. You don't have to cry to feel something in the place, but... Uh. Um, I've seen Phil, particularly over the last two years, go from um, someone who constantly strived to do better and pull his socks up and work harder to someone who's just changed from the inside. Um... There's a softness to him that never was there before. And things that just used to knock him for six just just don't do that. And it's not because uh, he's, you know, ten steps to <laughs> not losing the plot. <laughs> um, it's just that I see him taking that to God yeah. in a way that he never has done before. Yeah. Mm. So good. So good. And obviously, I mean, it goes without saying, everyone, that this is a work in progress for everyone, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, you guys haven't made it and not holding them up like it's the Holy Grail and that's what you've got to get. But it's like, man, this is the kind of thing that Jesus does. So finish off with this. Um, can you just give like a couple of practical things that you're doing to draw near to Jesus? Because it's, I don't know, sometimes I think it's like, oh, how do you do that? And it seems a bit difficult or tricky, but I don't a couple of kind of practical things each you could say that you're doing that, that are helping in that? I'd probably start off by saying that, um, that I, I look at God differently. He, he looks different. Like, um, you know, and, and, and I think that changes the whole way that I approach him. You know, I used to I used to look at him, and, and what I would see was a, a king, but a, a, a judgmental king uh, who was big, 
you know, and it just felt like if I got too close, he'd crush me. But his, his face looks different now. You know, I can kind of believe that he's a, he is a loving father and he does love me. He's not going to crush me. So I think looking at him differently is, is uh, you know, is, is kind of like the core of it. And then because I see him differently, I approach him differently. I pray a lot easier. You know, sometimes I would try and pray before and, and I just had nothing because he, he was so far, so far away. You know, it's like trying to have a long distance relationship with half a person. It, was, it just didn't work. Um, so, yeah, that, you know, that was kind of the, the beginning. And then praying, praying is a big thing for me. Uh, just having that conversation, those conversations. Um, Reading is, is something I'm still working on, reading the, the word, but, uh, you know, the prayer is definitely there. And, and I think just, you know, the, a massive swing for me was uh, getting into community uh, intentionally. And that started pretty early on at the project and, uh, you know, dived into to Renovate, which has now become Restore Groups. And and, uh, you know, just kind of uh, pressed into areas that I wouldn't usually because, you know, the way I would operate previously would be to, to just kind of keep people at a distance because, you know, relationships were painful and, and uh, you know, not worth the, not worth the effort. But uh, it was... like life, you know, life is too heavy to, to carry alone and you know, I just kind of leaned into people and that's been massive it's been massive for me yeah. you know, I think yeah, prayer and prayer and community yeah, yeah that's good yeah, I, mine would probably be the same except to say I, I think I just um became okay with telling God where I was really at when I talked to him. Mm. And um, oh, and been, yeah, just being okay with that. Mm. Not having the words sometimes, telling him how I really felt. Yeah. Um, and community, which was really hard for me to do. I, mean, mm. I joked with uh, Pete Millican last week that he got two emails from Phil last year. One was... We want to join a community group, quickly followed by, um, <laughs> that won't work for us right now. <laughs> and um, that was because I just couldn't couldn't go there, was pretty resistant to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just opening up and being real with other people seemed to help with being real with God mm. and being honest mm. with myself and with him and with others. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, is there anything else you want to say? No, I did well. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks. That could be you, not standing up here necessarily, but it it could be you, right? Um, 
physical, future, non-physical, present. This is not a pipe dream, the life that Jesus brings. Uh, John's been saying this all the way along. You begin living when you believe in him. You believe that? You You believe there's more life in being connected to Jesus than BCF? Do you? This is living? Um, This is what John's been saying. Eternal life begins um, when you get connected to Jesus and you don't actually have to wait. And, And you can see the present kind of physical reality this in John's gospel his 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 life flows into people's bodies that's, that's what happens the, the cripple at the pool of Bethesda the official son the healing of the blind man physical future non-physical present the resurrection and the life and so the question is do you want to come alive <laughs> like now like totally well, if you do, you need to get closer to Jesus. <laughs> These are the questions. And then at the end, um, Jesus makes it really personal. You remember uh, Martha says, and Samara talked about it in John 11, uh, 24, Martha says, I know he will rise again. Lazarus will, will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. It's, it's kind of, her response is, and it's not, please don't hear me criticizing her, it's kind of distant and not personal. But that's kind of, it's kind of off there. And then Jesus kind of brings it into the present and he gets her attention and, and says, you get resurrection and life by believing in him, by trusting in him, by resting in him, by buying into him, by giving yourself to him. He says, do you believe this to her? I want to finish uh, this morning by reading a section again from uh, one of uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles and Narnia books. Um, it's um, from The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And uh, all of you would know it. Uh, you've probably seen the movie. There's a, uh, a witch in the movie and the witch is representative of the devil. She has this wand and she can turn anything into stone with this wand she can just touch it with this wand and it gets turned into stone and she collects all these statues of things through the movie that she's turned into stone and she keeps them in her castle um and uh this is a this is a picture from the the movie and um for those who know the story aslan is the lion he's the the um he's the the jesus character in the book, he, um, he, he goes to his own death uh, to rescue Edmund, who's in the, in the picture there. And, um, and he dies on the stone table and then the stone table cracks and he comes back to life because he'd never done anything wrong and it's all uh, really beautiful. And then at the end, um, when he comes back to life, he's there with Lucy and Susan and they, they get to ride on Aslan's back. And Aslan goes to the castle of the, coin, of the witch, that's where he goes. And bounds over the, uh, the wall of the, um, um, the castle on the outside. And let me just read you the story and you can just listen. What an extraordinary place, cried Lucy. All those stone animals and people too. It's like a museum. Hush, said Susan. Aslan's doing something. He was indeed. 
he had bound it up to the stone lion and breathed on him. Then, without waiting a moment, he whisked around, almost as if he had been a cat chasing his tail. And he breathed also on the stone dwarf, which, as you remember, was standing a few feet from the lion with his back to it. Then he pounced on a tall stone dryad, which stood beyond the dwarf, turning rapidly aside to deal with the stone rabbit on his right, and rushed onto two centaurs. But at that moment, Lucy said, Oh, Susan, look, look at the lion. I expect you've seen someone put a lighted match to a bit of newspaper, which is propped up in a grate against an unlit fire, and for a second, nothing seems to have happened. And then you notice a tiny streak of flame creeping along the edge of the newspaper. It was like that now. For a, for a second after Aslan had breathed upon him, the stone line looked just the same. Then a tiny streak of gold began to run along his white marble back. Then it spread. Then the colour seemed to lick all over him as the flame licks all over a bit of paper. Then when the colour seemed to lick uh, sorry, then when his hindquarters were still obviously stone, the lion shook his mane and all the heavy stony folds rippled into living hair. Then he opened a great red mouth, warm and living, and gave a prodigious yawn. And now his hind legs had come to life. He lifted one of them and scratched himself. Then, having caught sight of Aslan, he went bounding after him and frisking round him, whimpering with delight and jumping up to lick his face. Do you see what did it here? What did it was the breath of Aslan. You have to be close to get the breath of someone, right? Of course, the children's eyes turned to follow the lion, but the sight they saw was so wonderful that they soon forgot about him. Everywhere, the statues were coming to life. It's a restoration church, right? The courtyard looked no longer like a museum. It looked more like a zoo. Creatures were running after Aslan and dancing around him till he was almost hidden in the crowd. Instead of that, all that deadly white, the courtyard was now a blaze of colours. Glossy chestnut sides of centaurs, indigo horns of unicorns, dazzling plumage of birds, ready brown of foxes, dogs and satyrs, yellow stockings and crimson hoods of dwarfs and the, the birch girls in silver and and the beach girls in fresh, transparent green, and the large girls in green so bright that it was almost yellow. And instead, listen to this. This is the last bit. And instead of the deadly silence, the whole place rang with the sound of happy roarings, brayings, yelpings, barking, squeak, squealings, cooings, neighing, stamping, shouts, hurrahs, and songs of laughter. That sound good? That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus didn't come to save the people to make them more intense. That's not what he came for. He came to bring life. And he's doing it. He's doing it here. And get in on it. Get your piece of it. 